Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. On today's episode, Gabe and I, we're back on the mic for our weekly episode, talk a little bit about nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, what we have going on. I just got finished with my retaking uh, the CrossFit Level 2 course. I share some of my experiences there. We talk about our favorite workouts going on this week, exciting updates here at NC Fit, talk about the fitness industry as a whole, and share some of our insight. You know, in the future, we'll be having more guests on the show as well. If you haven't checked out our Kapu Kalipas, make sure to do so. Have an amazing week and have a great podcast. Let's go. So we were just talking about some situations in personal life. And here's one thing that's interesting to me. I was having a conversation with one of my friends who, unfortunately, he passed away um, a couple of years ago from some stuff. And I remember sitting down and talking to him. This is something I think about a lot. So I wanted to bring it up on the podcast. And throughout high school and college, this guy was just literally just brilliant, brilliant. And he'd be able to get by with like 50% effort. Like I'm, I'm talking like not even a skimming of his potential. And I remember we were in high school and he'd be getting straight A's and I'd be, you know, working my ass off just to get a C. And uh, I wasn't jealous of him. I was inspired by him. Like this guy was just that brilliant. Then we go to college. I ended up going to a junior college coming out of high school because I didn't apply myself well. But my my wife uh, and and a few of my friends ended up going to a four-year university. And so I ended up staying with this person in his dorm room on a regular basis because they all went to school there, including Ashley. So I ended up spending countless nights at this guy's dorm room acting like I went to school at this four-year university when really I was going to school down the street at a junior college. And... I witnessed him getting straight A's all the time and only expressing like a fraction of his ability. And so we graduated from school and he graduated with a 4.0 and all this stuff. And I remember saying to him, we ended up graduating from the same school because I ended up um, finally getting in after a couple of years. But I remember saying to him like, hey man, this is like years down the line. I was like, you know, um, in high school and in college, you were able to get by with, you know, a fraction of your potential and still get a highest grade. But in life, there is no like, um, there's no grading system, right? It's just whether or not you reach your potential or not. And I think he was just so intelligent, so smart for so long, reaching a fraction of his potential that he never even got to reach his full potential before, unfortunately, he passed away from a bunch of different things. But it's like, it's funny because in life, there is no grading system. You're either reaching your potential, you're either striving to be your best version or not. But his best example, like what, what, according to like, Typically, right, he was at the highest level in all of his grades. But as soon as he got out of school, there's no more of that criteria. And I just thought that was an interesting conversation I had with him because he was like, he was working at 30% of his potential before he passed away. If he had just applied himself, I mean, dude, he could have taken over the world, you know? Anyways, it was something that was fresh in my mind. So I thought we could talk about it here. Yeah, man. I mean, <clears throat> so many places we 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 can take that. Um, and I know we've <laughs> right. talked, well, I know we've talked about before on here about, you know, the, the education system and, and, you know, how that is a disservice for some people. And I think that to your point, you know, your friend or anyone out there that just is, is, is bright in a very exceptional way, you know, the school system almost like puts a ceiling on people, right? Because like an A is what you get. There's nothing above that. So what's the motivation to kind of go above and beyond and think outside the box and figure out, you know, things and ways to like in real life be exceptional. Right. Um, and I think that, and I don't know, you might know this better than, than, than I do now, 
But I feel like now too, in a lot of the, you know, especially in like higher income areas, like nice areas, good schools and stuff. Now there's like all this pressure to give good grades and not get bad grades that like, I feel like now almost everyone gets an A, right? Like everyone's doing really well because, you know, there's all this pressure to like tutor the kids and this and like, you know, make sure that your kid's getting good grades. So also like, at what point do the grades even matter as a differentiator of who's actually excelling and who's not? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just in this particular case, it's a really good example because like um, it put like a um, uh, like, a you know, I, I like to think about this idea of like earned confidence. And it's like the earned confidence was earned for years because you always got A's. So like, why would you do anything different if you're always at the top of your class? Right. Like you're it. But then when you think about it, it's like it are you really reach your potential? And so that that's I, I think about that a lot when it comes to like parenthood you know, my relationships, the business, fitness, like reaching potential, I think ultimately is something that you have to ask yourself if you're doing. And in this particular case, it's it's a really, a, it's a shame um, that this individual never got to reach their potential because uh, I, I just, I could have seen them just taking on the world. So anyways, some other situation came up with another friend of mine who just got me thinking about this stuff. And it's like, yeah, don't get wrapped up. And uh, reach your potential is, is the synopsis of, the, of this particular case. <laughs> you know, and I think that this also applies to leaders out there, whether, you know, you're a coach, a gym owner, an entrepreneur of some sort. If you lead a team, I think that, you know, I think there's a parallel there between like the responsibility that teachers and professors have in the education system to identify people that are getting A's at 30% effort and push them to do a little bit more, push them to really like, you know, reach their potential and, and go above and beyond because they know that the potential is there. I think that our job as leaders, managers, whatever is, you know, if you do have someone on your team, they might be doing a good job checking off all the boxes on their job description. But if you know that that person is incredibly talented, super smart, and there's a lot of potential there, you know, we always talk about creating trajectory for people so that, they can always make more money and they can see advancement and that keeps them. But another aspect where you don't necessarily maybe have to invest dollars and cents into people, but really like develop them as professionals is identifying those people and giving them more responsibility, giving them ways to, to your point, reach their potential. And I think that that's super important for leaders and managers out there to be able to identify and then push people to do that, even though they're doing a good job for what you hired them there might be different roles in the business, different things that they can take on that can, you know, kind of push them and encourage them a little bit to do a little bit more and grow. And that sometimes can be more valuable than an increase on the paycheck. That's also always very important. And you don't want to just give people more hats to wear without compensating them accordingly. But there is something to be said, especially if you have someone that's super talented, young, hungry, and wants the experience to like, just give them stuff to figure out, learn, and be able to put that on their resume, take it to a next job or whatever it is. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. You know, I think from a leadership perspective, it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I signed up or I, I, uh, I worked with Leif uh, Babbitt, you know, from um, Echelon Front, you know, those guys and Jocko. And so I will be going out to uh, Michigan um, in May, Michigan in May for a uh, one of their leadership events. And it's a small 30 to 40 person event. I'm super excited about it. I'll keep you updated on like when I get more details. I'm curious how they, because like when you look at it online, it's almost like they they refer to everything as like gunfights and battles. And I, 
I, I imagine we're just going to, uh, it's going to be all business focused. I don't think we're going to have any firearms. If we do, that's fine too. All good. But I think it's mainly like they look at it, they equate, you know, like being on the battlefield and, and, you know, like extreme ownership, the book with what they're going to be teaching through the leadership summit. So I'm excited to get some feedback from that and then share it here on the podcast to um, help other, you know, gym owners, uh, leaders, uh, managers, et cetera, um, provide their team with other resources and tools that I'm hopefully going to develop by working with these guys. I have a question for you. You know, all of these things, you know, us getting someone to come in for our recent leadership summit and, you know, sit with us and now have follow-up meetings with us, you know, the, the weekly training you're doing with Adam, um, this leadership summit you're going to like all of that costs money, time, and energy. And I think that, you know, sometimes, and I've, I've, I've felt this myself sometimes, you know, sometimes it's tough when you're, you know, whether you are a, a business owner or you're just someone, you know, trying to, you have a kid and you have bills to pay and stuff, you know, like how much do you invest on stuff like this? Um, and, and when does it get to the point where, you know, maybe you've also, cause I think on the other end of the spectrum, we all know people that, you know, take every course, read right. every book, do everything, but they never do the thing. How do you find the balance of like, you know, investing in yourself and getting more skill sets and building yourself as whether it's a leader or a coach, whatever it is, and, you know, paying the the money, time and effort that it takes to go through those courses, but also not falling into the trap of like, well, you're going to take every course and read every book, but you're not actually going to put it into practice. Well, think about it this way, right? Like, um, getting back to center, I think is a good way, like you described it, right? So if on the, if on the full right, you have someone who takes every single course, let's use coaching as an example. I think this is a good example, right? Takes every course, L1, L2, L3, you name it, does all these different things, but never actually, um, you never actually coaches, right? Never coaches. I think that that practical application is super important. On the flip side, if you have a coach who only has practical application, but never does the additional resources, like from a more of a science, maybe diving into nutrition, different things that are like more of like a um, analytical education perspective. I think that there's two sides of the spectrum. Same thing with leadership, right? So you have on one side, you have like the school of, I don't know, hard knocks, like self-made, whatever you want to call it, where literally you come out of high school or wherever you went and you just self like entrepreneur, right? Then you have the other side where it's, you know, you get your MBA, you, you go to Stanford, et cetera. I'm not saying those are mutually exclusive. You could have both by the way, but I think that the reality is, is you want to blend. And so for me, what I'm thinking about is I've had a lot of on the job training for a really long time. And I don't think that I have invested enough for our company or for myself in a former legal, former formal leadership training. I have been 95% on the job, 5% maybe maybe 90%, 10% mentorship, things like that. And I think that I'm overdue for a more structured uh, leadership course. That's just my gut reaction. I think anybody listening who owns a company, manages, et cetera, could probably look themselves in the mirror and say, hey, I've had really good on-the-job training, but I this is an area of, of improvement for me. And where that really stemmed for me was um, at my children's school, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that that parents there, a lot of business owners compared to most places. And what I find is that a lot of these business owners are part of like, um, like mentorship groups and go on like 
um, annual retreats with different leadership groups. And a lot of these are really expensive. And so I never pulled the trigger on it because they're like huge investments, but there's a reason why so many business owners are part of these groups. And it's because that pure connection, that personal and, and, and growth is so important to you leading your company for the next stage. And I feel like I was overdue. So, um, how do you find the blend? I don't quite know. I think it's a self-reflection, but I also think you got to put the ego away. Like take, for example, for me, I officially have my level four in CrossFit, which is the highest level you can get. But I just finished taking my level two because it was a stepping stone for me to recertify myself for level four. When I went there, was there a part of me who's like, dude, I've already done this so many times. I've taught this course. Like, why am I here? A little bit, but not really. I had to leave the ego at the door and say, hey, this is going to improve me. And this is a step for me to like back up what I'm talking about, which is if I believe our trainers should always be striving for the next level, like this is a step for me to do that. So I had to kind of leave the ego at the door and be a, um, you know, a staple student was my goal for the course. How was your level two? Level two is good. Um, you know, I really approached it with the mindset of, I want to be the, um, the, um, uh, whatever student, um, whatever you want to call it, like the sample student. Like I want Austin and Megan, when they finished the course, cause they were the instructors to look back on me being there and be like, he printed out his level two documents, which are right here in my hand. He took notes and he observed and he, and he participated, um, as well as anybody else. Um, and I feel like that was the approach I took and that's, I put in what I got out of it. Um, I haven't, you know, I've taught probably, I don't know. I've probably taught 20 level twos. Um, I taught more level ones. Level twos are more practical applications. So you get in small groups and you start seeing and correcting. And it was it was fun, man. It was it was a good event. It was very practical. And I think that uh, any coach out there who hasn't taken a level two should do so. It's awesome. I have uh, a little story about me not being the ideal student at my level one. So back in the day when I started, I was at CrossFit Garden City which still an awesome CrossFit gym on Long Island, love Dennis and Jen. Um, and at the time I, I started their internship program to eventually coach, which was super robust. It was like, you did a couple months of just observing. Then you did a couple months of like shadowing, leading warmups. And then you would finally move on to like, actually like teaching the class and they would shadow you. It was a whole thing. We would go on weekends. It was like super, super extensive, which looking back on it is a testament to how together they had it because that's something that like I don't think gyms even have in place now and this is talking you know back in like 20 probably like 2014 2015 so so quite a bit ago but anyway as part of that you know me being in the internship process which was before I had my level one Dennis and Jen who are the owners who are also on level one staff Jen especially she would practice her um giving the the lectures oh, yeah, on yeah, the yeah. interns. Yeah. Which was which was great because we got oh, yeah, like yeah. early access to, you know, what we were going to do at the L1. But I remember, especially because I I like lived at the gym. This was the time where I was like, you know, just so all in. Like I was just there all the time. And so I had heard, you know, like a couple of the lectures, like the what is CrossFit and like lectures like a few times because she would practice them and and you know us at these the interns would go over them. And then I remember once we got to the actual L1 hosted at CrossFit Garden City with, you know, Dennis and Jen as part of the instructor class, dude, I could not stay awake. 
during some of the lectures. Like I, I was like literally like nodding off and I can tell that like Dennis, who was teaching it at the time, like caught me a couple times and he, he mentioned it afterwards. And I was like, damn, but yeah, I remember that. I was like, I just, I could not keep my eyes open, man. Cause I'd listened to the stuff like a couple of times, but anyway, don't do that. Go no, in and pay attention. No, you know, and it's so easy to do what you just said. And that's why I really tried like on my, so it was like a 45 minute drive to the seminar each day. And I really tried to remind myself, like, like, you know, we have like this thing about how do you want to be remembered? Like as a coach, like, how do you want to be remembered? Like after your class, how do you want your members to say like, how do you want to be remembered? Like if, you know, and COVID was a real example where dude, one day you're open, the next day you're closed. How would you want to be remembered after that class experience? And it sounds heavy, but it's just like, how, how do you want the members to leave there and be like, dude, that was badass, blah, blah. You know, I walked into the gym today and then I'll get back to what I was saying. And, uh, do the, the, they're doing this, um, uh, deadlift, uh, burpee over the bar workout. That's just nasty. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And dude, the energy's right. The vibes are right. And Elijah's coaching. And after coaching, I had three, uh, members come up to me and just tell me how much they really enjoyed Elijah's class. And that's the kind of thing you want to think about. So when I was on my way to, um, uh, the seminar each day, I would just remind myself, like, how do I want to be remembered by the other students in the class? And how do I want to be remembered by the instructors? Like, this is going to resonate with them. They're going to be like, okay, this guy came in, he's taught this seminar before, but yet he was still willing to sit through it. And that was important to me. And um, maybe I care too much, but I, I care a lot about how people perceive that they, like that I want to be perceived as a guy who's really trying to learn. Cause I, I am, that's why I was there for, I wasn't just there to check the box. So, so and I think there's, about. yeah. And I think there's also something to be said about, you know, one thing that we talked about on a few podcasts ago was this idea of like, you know, if you read books, like a lot of people are like, I have to finish every book. Right. But you know, what I like that Alex Harmozy talks about is like, you know, he skims most books and studies a few. And, you know, that in relation to like you taking your L2 again, I think that there's a lot of value to like really studying some of this material, you know, like not just going through doing it once. And like you said, checking the boxes, but I'm sure that there's something that you took away from paying close attention to doing this again as a student, even though you've taught the level too many times. And if you go in with that mentality of like, Hey, this is a very valuable course. I know I've taken it before. I know the materials I've even taught the course, but if I like just open up my mind to, I'm going to be a student, I'm going to pay attention. You will learn something from it. It might not even be something super tangible and direct, like, oh, they spoke about this and that's what I learned. But you might just learn from someone else that's taken the course and how they dealt with the group work or a different way that, you know, a cue was given. Like there's always something that could be learned, but you're going to miss that if you're there, you know, going through the motions and just kind of checking the box. Yeah. One thing from a coaching perspective, I mean, you know, Austin said something, it just resonated with me. Like, it's not like the end all be all, but it just resonated with me for coaches was this idea of like, um, be like a GPS. And I thought that was interesting. You know, I think that sometimes as coaches, we, we navigate towards the negative instead of navigating towards the positive or giving clear direction. Um, this was something that over my co coaching career, I've had to correct. So for any coach listening, I think this is a nice kind of takeaway is like, and this is not the end all be all, by the way, there's, there's always exceptions to this, but this is in general, right? If you're, let's just say you see someone, uh, I don't know, deadlifting, 
and their back is like super, super rounding. Uh, instead of saying to them like, Hey, Gabe, your back is super rounding. I want you to, you know, get your chest up. The GPS model would be like, so let's just say you're listening to GPS on the, uh, on the car. It would say like, turn left, turn right. And if you made the wrong turn, it would just tell you how to correct it. It wouldn't say you made a wrong turn. Like you, GPS wouldn't say you made a, a, you made a left turn. You need to make a right turn now. It would just say at the next stop, make a right or whatever. So when you're looking at that, equating that to coaching, it's a similar concept. You see someone that's rounding their back instead of saying, Hey, Gabe, you're rounding your back. It's just like, Hey, Gabe, get your chest up for me. Now, again, that's just a, a general theme, right? You want to tell them what you want them to do. Not necessarily always just talk about what they're doing wrong. And when you think about it from a GPS perspective, the reason why it resonated with me, and again, there's exceptions to the rule, but in general, you could tell people what they're doing wrong, but in general, you want to tell them how to, to correct their movement. The reason why the GPS resonated with me is the speed of the words, right? So if you're in the middle of class and someone's doing a workout and you're saying to them, hey, Gabe, you're rounding your back, can you get your chest up? It's just taking more time to get to the point of what we want to fix, which is impacting the workout and not being as efficient. It's the same thing with GPS. If someone's like, hey, you made a right turn, you now need to make a left turn. Well, why do you even need to tell me I made a right turn? Like, just tell me what I need to do. So it, that was a small piece. I know there's a bunch more we could talk about. How did you feel, you know, the the other participants? Because I know I actually had, um, I think you met a, a former coach that I coached with, yeah, a friend of mine, Chris. Um, did you feel like some of the other people that were there that were repeating? Because I feel like that's a lot of people now, right? Like a lot of people are now taking these certifications for a second time. Any kind of takeaways from like the attitude of the other coaches in there? Was everyone there like, hey, I know I've taken this before, but I'm there to learn? Or did you feel like some people were, you know, just kind of going through the motions? No, I feel like, I mean, look, the reality is, I mean, people paid a lot of money to be there. So they were mm -hmm. definitely engaged. There were some coaches that were much better than others. Um, also, I mean, even using myself as an example, like, on the second day, you had to coach a movement. I told them, just tell me whatever you want me to coach. And so they had me coach the med ball clean. And Ooh, that's I mean, a I've, tough one. I've probably taught the med ball clean. I, I, dude, I can't even tell you how many times I've taught it at seminars. I mean, many, many times. But all of a sudden, you're there. Austin's like sitting there with like a little notebook and you're teaching it. And then he interrupts you. And it's like, fuck, man, you threw me off my flow. So even that kind of got me a little bit flustered and so i can only imagine if this was your first time you know going through that flow people from day one to day two it was like exponentially better and i could say that for everybody in the class which was really cool to see because they went home and took notes on their progression they thought about how they wanted to approach it and so day one they layer in different things to focus on then day two they actually test you kind of um yeah i, I look from a and then afterwards when you get home you have an assessment I thought everything was really good. Um, I think it's definitely worth the investment. I think the seminars across this putting on are great. Is there, and you might know this better than, than I do. And maybe this is a question that, you know, we can ask Don if we have him on again, but is there an opportunity to update the curriculum for these seminars? Cause haven't they been mostly unchanged now for, you know, over a decade? Yeah. I mean, so after, so after you complete your seminar, you get, uh, in this particular case, you have an assessment, which is like a test. And then after the test, you get a survey, two completely different things, right? And the survey asks your feedback on the course. And then over time, they look at macro themes and they make changes to it. 
So I do think the course has changed over time. The level two is very practical. I mean, dude, there was like, I want to say there was four lectures, nutrition, programming, like uh, basically points of coaching and, and one other. It was very, very small lecturing. It was more on the floor. Um, but I, I do think that there's some need to change up some of the stuff. Um, the feedback that I provided was that um, I, I think that we should look at where we host seminars in the future and what they represent for the future of CrossFit a decade from now. Because if someone only goes into these courses for their first time, and this is the only experience they have with CrossFit, and the facility looks a certain way, that's now subconsciously what they expect. Because CrossFit HQ is basically um, anointing these gyms as like tip of the spear because they're hosting seminars. So I think it's just something we need to be aware of for the long-term trajectory of CrossFit. It's like, what do we want a quote-unquote box to look like? What is the standard we want to have? And because um, I think if we could adjust that over time to have a little bit better gyms, 5%, I think that'll impact the overall CrossFit community in the long run. Do you think there's an opportunity or a need for, you know, the level one and level two specifically to incorporate some actual like business aspects to it? Or is that completely separate, right? Because the level one is a prerequisite to open a gym. Like, should those be kept completely separate? Because, and I'll tell you the reason I'm asking, you know, one thing that I find interesting is as part of this nutrition coaching certification that we're going through now with a couple of the coaches, since we're going to be doing nutrition and accountability coaching at NC Fit, I thought it was interesting that, because I'm going through it as like the owner of the program, right? And then we have three coaches going through it that are the, the actual nutrition coaches that are going to be taking on clients, so on and so forth. But everyone, all four of us, went through the first two modules that were exclusively on like pricing, marketing, like the actual like nuts and bolts of the service, selling it, so on and so forth. And it got me thinking to, A, I think that that's really smart. And B, I think that it got me thinking to how important it is to, even though they're not going to be the ones, you know, setting up the landing pages and figuring out what our social media strategy is to sell this thing, for them to have to go through that gives them really good context so that they know how this is going to work at the gym. And it, it's a part of the process, right? Like there wasn't two separate tracks so that the owner goes through this and the coaches go through this. Is there an opportunity for CrossFit to take the same approach? Since, you know, one thing that we've talked about, and we talked about this with Don, you know, there seems to be a big gap in like the business chops that some of these owners need before going into business. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so I think the answer is um, maybe HSN is a good example, right? Where they talk about sales and because that's such a big part of it. I think level one, a lot of the people that are going there are just going there for their own personal fulfillment, uh, education and coaching. Most of them, but some of them have aspirations to uh, own a gym. I don't know. I think what would be a really cool idea, maybe tack on to level one, right? An optional day three that's more business focused um, could be interesting. Um, or you just have a separate business focus. Um, but I do think that for people who are going to level one with the intention of opening up an affiliate in the future, the fact that there is no business conversation at all, zero, I think is a is a opportunity. Um, especially considering now they have the affiliate starter kit and stuff like that, which is a step in the right direction, but nothing's better than in-person explaining what you really expect, setting expectations. So yeah, I mean, I think that's something to bring up to CrossFit HQ because it's not even a, a conversation. I mean, even at the level two, right? There's no conversation about pricing and ownership, 
But then again, I was the only person at my level two who, who owns an affiliate. No one else there did. So, you know, is that worth the people's time too? You know, something else I'd ask the question of, and I think at a level two, it's different, but at a level one, eh, maybe not level one, but how much focus do we want to put on lunch workouts? I, I think that there's just, there's, there's an opportunity to look at like how is time best spent? I think the level one's pretty efficient. Level two's pretty efficient too, because they use the workouts as a coaching opportunity, but maybe for the business one, you wouldn't really spend much time working out. It's all about business. It's a one day business course. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because the the other side of the argument is, you know, kind of that connection aspect that's supposed to happen, right? Like during these times is when you're supposed to rub shoulders with another coach and rub shoulders with another affiliate owner, create a connection that hopefully lasts beyond the seminar so that you have someone, you know, one big problem that we've talked about a lot in the space is the fact that like, you know, gym owners sometimes feel like they're on an island, right? Like you're the one that needs to figure out the sales, the marketing, the coaches development, and you have no one you can reach out to just to be like, hey, how are you handling this issue that is either a close by gym or maybe someone across the country? And the the argument I think would be that, you know, if you're spending time, whether it's during the level one, level two, or an eventual business seminar, letting people just sweat together, it's the same community aspect that makes CrossFit Gym so special, kind of like replicating that within the, the, the four walls of a seminar leads to those relationships would be the argument. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, I think there's an opportunity to evaluate all of these things, but the level one, level two, I think are great. Um, I'm redoing the level three, um, which is a online test, but it's like at a testing site. So it's a little bit different. Uh, so that'll be, I'll provide you the feedback on that. Um, I took my so level three. Far, oh yeah. You did the, the online one. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. I did the, I did the level three at the test center. I, yeah, um, at the test center. yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a tough test because it Very. includes everything, right? Like, it's just like, you know, you need to know what the normal and optimal ranges are for like, you know, triglycerides, triglycerides and also be yeah. able to watch a video of like five people squatting that like it pans over and identify the flaw. And it's like, you know, like a grainy, like crummy video, you're distracted by the ridiculous outfits people are wearing. <laughs> I remember that being something else. Like, oh, dude, look at those shorts. But um, yeah, no, it's it's a tough test for sure, just because of the 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 breadth of information that that it covers. Um, but I think that, and and I still remember this. It's a great uh, motivator to really revisit a lot of very valuable information that's out there, because I think in order in order to pass, you have to really go back and look at, if you go through the study materials that they provide you for the level three. Yeah. You'll like, be fine. You'll be fine. And also you'll learn a lot. Like it's a yeah. great, great, like, Hey, go through this. It's going to take a couple months for sure. If you're actually going to go through it, go through it, but you'll learn a lot. And I think it'll, it'll also like open your eyes to areas that you might be interested in learning more. Like I remember a lot of the nutrition content there, you know, kind of like sparked a lot of questions and further investigation that I wanted to do that I think led me to a lot of really cool things for me to experiment with myself and just things that I've learned over the years. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I'm excited to get nutrition going here at the gym. You know, I think that's an area that I, when this releases, we are going to be doing signups. When do signups start for the challenge we're doing? Um mid to late February. I, I don't know the exact date off the top of my head, but it'll be pretty close to when this releases or when the next one releases. 
Okay. So if you're in the Bay Area, if you're, by the way, I mean, I say this each week, but dude, fucking man, and man, it feels so good to see the gyms just buzzing. Oh my gosh. You know, I hope if you're a gym owner listening, your gym is buzzing too, because um, we are, we are going to be working on some stuff and sharing it with you guys, uh, specifically for gym owners. We're going to be testing out paid ads here pretty soon, which we've never really done before in any type of like quantifiable way. I'm curious, like a month or two from now, Gabe, if we could share some of that data just to kind of give ideas of what's worked for us. I'm curious about nutrition, what's worked for us, what hasn't a couple of months from now. Um, and then a bunch of other stuff that we're, we're going to be talking about. Right. So we have an NPR today, which is our monthly performance review to go over class attendance and see how we could evaluate our class schedule a little bit better. And we want to just continue to share all that type of stuff with gym owners out there. Yeah, no, it's a super exciting time, man. Um, a lot of work to be done, but I think that a lot of the work here up front is going to, I I genuinely believe is going to get it to a point where we have a lot of things going on autopilot that are like, you know, like doing really, really well for us and allows us to focus in other areas of the business and really kind of just grow from there and hit the ground running. I think this is going to be a really fun year. Yeah, for sure. We had uh, Chad and the team from NC Fit Valley Strong, which is in Southern California, come up yesterday. We tested a few good workouts with them that'll be coming up uh, at the gym and also at the collective in about a month. Um, one of them we had to test twice because we changed it from front squats and toes bar with a different rep scheme. And so if you're a gym owner out there and you haven't checked out what we're doing there, make sure to do so. You know, we test things. We Basically, the synopsis is like we provide tools and resources for gym owners that we use in our gyms on a daily basis, and they're tested everything. So, you know, if you're not outsourcing your programming, I think you're missing out. Obviously, we'd love for you to outsource with us, of course. But if you're not, you should probably look to outsource your program. I think there's a better use of your time. Um, just like if you're not outsourcing your accounting, you probably should do that, too. Um, you should probably outsource your programming. There's a variety of different partners that are doing it really well. I think we're doing the best, but make sure you check out different places uh, for your program. If you're a gym owner out there. No, we're definitely doing the best. Um, a video that I came up the other day that I thought was super interesting and just kind of worth talking about real quick. Um, do you know who Mr. Beast is? Wait, is that the one that was, I sent to you as a joke? No, 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 no. no. Oh. I thought that was pretty funny too. No, Mr. Beast is like a super popular YouTuber who um, does like all these videos where it started Wait, with like- away? No, no, no. Oh. no. He didn't pass away. Oh. Um, he does. He got famous off of doing like, they're kind of silly videos, but they're actually super addictive. Where like, you know, the last person to like stay in this circle gets like, you know, a thousand bucks or something. Like it's always kind of just like, and it's really well done. They're like these silly challenges. But now he's like one of the most popular um, YouTubers there is. And he does like crazy things. Like he did like a real life, uh, enactment of like the squid games where he like built all that stuff out and it cost him like millions of dollars to like film the video, but he's like super popular. But yeah. anyway, that's just the backstory. It's not important to the point that I was trying to make. He's been on a bunch of podcasts recently and he had such a good point. So he's, if you look him up, he's like a kind of like, you know, geeky YouTuber guy. He's definitely not a fitness guy by any means, but lately he's been like trying to get into fitness a little bit just for his health and longevity. And he said that the best thing he did to get better about going to the gym and being consistent is surrounding himself with people that take fitness seriously. And it was just, it seems obvious, but it was such a good point about, and he just threw a percentage out there, but I think it's true. You know, he's like, it's 70% easier to stay consistent when you're just like, start surrounding yourself with people that like go to the gym every day. 
like you said, I just started being around those people on my team. And like, there's like, oh, we're going to the gym. So I would just go to the gym and it made his like staying consistent that much easier. And the reason it's interesting is like, if you follow him or if you're familiar, he's like one of those crazy, like workaholic people that like, you know, he works all the time, every time and is super efficient with his time. So him like incorporating fitness is a big deal because he's carving out time for it. Right. But A, I thought it was cool to see someone like that acknowledge that, you know, hey, if you want to live a long life, like you should probably focus on fitness now, no matter how much money you're making, no matter how successful you are. And also this idea of like, you know, the people you surround yourself with are going to make certain habits more difficult or more easy to stick to. And I think that that's something that everyone can take away, whether you're a coach, an entrepreneur, or just someone that wants to like get a little bit more into fitness or be better about your diet. Like the saying goes that like you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Right. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like if you want to up your business game and you're an entrepreneur, you should probably surround yourself with some entrepreneurs that are kicking ass. If you're, you know, like really frustrated with not being able to stay consistent with the gym or nutrition, and there's, you know, certain people that you spend a lot of time with that just don't prioritize those things. doesn't mean you have to cut them out, but there is something to be said about like spending a little bit less time with them and finding some people that do value those things a lot and how much easier it'll make it. You know, you're going to end up swimming upstream if you're constantly around people that don't value the things that you're trying to improve at. And I thought yeah. that, you know, that little clip that I saw encapsulated it so well, this idea of like how important your support system is. Um, and I think it's something that, you know, we can all be a little bit better at, regardless of what your goal is, being more successful as a business owner, being a better husband, being a better dad, being, you know, a better athlete, performing better. You just got to surround yourself with people that are like doing whatever that thing is at like a little bit of a higher level and it'll, it'll pull you up. It's inevitable. Yeah, you yeah. won't even have to do anything. You won't right. even notice it. You'll just start doing the things because that's what you're surrounded by. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's something I probably take for granted in regards to fitness, just because for mm. all my life, I've been surrounded by people who are interested in fitness, like literally all my life. I mean, I started at the front desk when I was 15. I mean, uh, like, I, I can't even fathom that now, right? Like, I mean, just surrounded by people on a daily basis, working at a gym where like, working out was just like a normal thing. Um, yeah. I mean, thinking about it that way, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy actually. Now that I think about it, um, you know, it's funny. I, I took a level two with Austin and he's the one that first originally introduced me to CrossFit in 2006. And the, one of the ways that I got stuck into CrossFit talk about peer pressure, right. Or, or surrounding yourself is that, um, I was reminded of this because we did it at the seminar was twice a week or so we'd go downstairs and we were on the sales team. So um, I'd go to school during the day and at night I'd be on the sales team with him. And at before like the rush happened, we would always go down and hit our bench press. Um, we wanted to get a nice little upper body pump, wanted to look full out to fill out that polo shirt. And we, we started competing and we started putting out a challenge in the gym to anybody that could hit a hundred reps of 135 as fast as possible. That was the challenge. And it's really interesting because him and I did that on Sunday. We did it with a little bit of a different weight, but it was just a nice reminder for me of like how I got started was this idea of like kind of peer pressure, community aspect. And then I started falling in love with this idea of like, how can I do like my bodybuilder type stuff, but do it faster. And that ultimately triggered me, you know, deep into the game. But that was the first one was a hundred reps of bench press. We did it for months. 
And I finally got my time down, like as low as I wanted. And then after that, we were done. I got oh, sore as shit though from Sunday. Oh my gosh. I did it at 155 instead of 135 on Sunday. And I, I'm still sore here a couple of days later. I love, I love those, like how I got into CrossFit stories. I remember um, Wes Pyatt had a really good one. Uh, we had him on me and Ariel's podcast back when we were doing that. And he like got obsessed with, um, what was it? Filthy 50, I think. Oh, And he wanted to get better at double unders because he didn't have double unders. Yeah. So he just did filthy 50 every day to practice his double unders. Like he didn't just do double unders. He would do the whole workout because he would always get stuck at the end of the double unders. And he yeah. would just do that over and over and over again until he finally got double unders. Okay. A lot one of ways way to, to get it. introduced, but that's not <laughs> the one that I would pick. But yeah, the, the, the bench press one was fun. For anybody who wants to try it, it's 100 reps at 135. Or you could also do a hundred reps at 50% of your one RM, which is what I did the other day. So my bench right now is around three, three ten ish. And, um, we worked up to a heavy single and then we did a hundred reps at that weight divided by 50%. So Austin did 135. I did uh 155 for a hundred reps took us about seven and a half minutes. Now, when I was really training it at 135. I think the fastest I ever did, it was two and a half minutes. Um, Jesus. So what was your I, heavy single? Uh, yesterday or on Sunday, mm -hmm. I worked up to um, 275 for for like three or four. I can't remember. I didn't I didn't hit a one RM. I think I hit 275 for like three. I um, I was in Miami this past weekend for a wedding and we bought a week pass to like a what was it called? It was called power powerhouse gym, Miami. It was like your standard, like yeah. not like a grungy, grungy bodybuilding gym. It was like a little nice, but you know, dude, it was right in downtown Miami. Fuck yeah. I don't know what was better, like the pumps or the people watching. It was quite an experience, dude. It was, it was, it was fun. It was also fun because um, we went with our in-laws because it was Ariel's family's wedding and they, they babysat our, our newborn in the mornings. So it was the first time that me and Ariel had like time together away from the baby, um, to do what we love doing, which is, you know, going, working out and getting a little breakfast after. So it was super fun for so many reasons, but man, just, there's nothing better than people watching at like a good bodybuilding gym. It's the oh, best. It's the oh, absolute, sure. absolute best. Yeah, I did one like a year ago. I was at a, a friend of mine has a bodybuilding gym he's a big fan of. And so I went with him there and I ended up doing like a CrossFit type workout there, like box jumps, <laughs> clean and jerks, all kinds of shit. People just looked at me like, what the fuck is this guy doing? So yeah, it was good. Um, well, bro, I appreciate it. We're going to start having some guests on the show. Uh, we we had the one with uh, Don, which if you haven't listened to that podcast, that was a really good podcast for the future of CrossFit, in my opinion, um, getting it to 30 million people. I thought it was really well received. A lot of downloads on that one. And uh, we have a couple other people that were uh, that are in the hopper that I'm really excited to talk to. So um, yeah, well, anybody who listens, really appreciate it. Um, make sure if you do get value from this, share with a friend, definitely helps with the podcast. Leave us a rating and review and uh, keep crushing it. And uh, Gabe, anything else? That's it, man. That's it. I'm excited. All right, let's get it.